0: The Preach and Persuade Podcast. My name is Sam Parada, and I'm here again with Cody Weckerly and Adam Nesvold, and we are now diving into our little series on ecclesiology, or what you would call the doctrine of the church. Again, we we kind of did an introductory episode just talking about the story of Harvest Plains Church and church planting and what that looked like for us. Uh, but now we're going to transition into more of yeah theology, doctrine, the Bible. You know, what is the church? How does the church function? Uh, And so really, the topic today is just that first question. What is the church? What is it? Uh, And what I would like to start out with is just kind of a question of like, what are some misconceptions that people have about the church? Like just some wrong ideas that maybe you've heard or run into before. And I'll just throw that up onto the table and we can just maybe have a little bit of a discussion about, yeah. Yeah. Just some wrong ideas about what the church is. Uh, Yeah, I think that when it comes
1: to a wrong view of the church, a lot of times uh, a wrong view uh, that someone has is because it's a partial view, Mm. right? They have something right about the church, but they're missing a whole lot of other stuff, right? And so, uh, you know, we were talking even before we started today's podcast, but like, what's the most popular... Uh, Air people make. It's seeing the church as a building, right? (laughs) And uh, funny enough, even recently, I encountered that, right? The last four years, we've been a church plant, and Mm -hmm. so we haven't had our own building. We've been meeting at a public school. And uh, recently, we finally got our own space. And just this week, we're driving past the building, and one of my kids goes, oh, look, there's our church. And I'm (laughs) like, no! (laughs) <laughs> right so i'm like it's already begun yeah you know no that's that's where our church meets meets uh assembles is, gathers yeah. yep right so uh that that is definitely very common
0: very common yeah
2: yeah
1: uh i think probably the one
2: that uh that i have heard a lot um and you could say maybe like maybe you could phrase it as like my favorite but that's kind of the bad way to say it because it's like my least favorite thing to hear and probably something that people, people that will listen to this will hear and be like, oh shoot, I've, I've said that at one mm. point or, or another in my life is uh, people, people have a tendency to say, uh, to like listen to worship music uh, or mm-hmm. listen to a sermon at home and be like, oh yeah, this is church for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that is not church right or um, or I've heard people say like you know they'll, they'll go they'll go somewhere maybe it's on vacation or maybe it's just somewhere that, that they really like out in nature. Um, you know to like this beautiful place in, in creation um, like a lake out in the mountains somewhere and they'll be like,
1: this is church. <laughs> no, no, it's not. yeah I, I have heard that out of the mouth of just a few hunters.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Oh, for sure. You hear it a lot. Yeah. Dorsman. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And no doubt about it. Like, yeah, you can you can experience the beauty of God and creation and have a wonderful, worshipful experience without a doubt. But that's not church. That's not church. And we'll obviously as we start to unpack what the church is, some of these misconceptions will be like, oh, OK, yeah, that's why that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a big discussion even today with virtual church (laughs) and what COVID has done and it created this whole reality of well and scholars and theologians and seminary professors like oh man we got to do some deep theological work just to redefine and even just freshen up our ecclesiology because never before has you know the church and and teachers had to wrestle with this idea of gathering virtually Mm-hmm. So again, it makes us you know rethink what what again what is the church
1: and it almost seems like this is how the Reformation is continuing to our day right yeah we've reformed and always reforming, yeah. right and uh you know throughout the different eras of the church uh scholars have had their thing that they've focused on yeah. right and uh It seems like even a lot of seminaries have been willing to admit, you know, that actually we haven't done a good job teaching about ecclesiology. Right. You know, we've taught about eschatology, we've taught about soteriology, we've focused on these other matters, but uh, that is why we have ministries like Nine Marks, uh, because they saw, like, this is being missed, Mm. and people are in need of, even seminary students and people graduating... Uh, From these Bible colleges, they don't understand what the church is, and so it's been a very healthy and good and needed discussion, Uh, and especially, like you mentioned, in light of COVID with virtual gatherings and, okay, is it a big deal that we gather, not gather? The government says don't gather, okay? Do we say, no, we're going to gather anyways, Mm. right? I mean, it has, the last couple of years, uh, precipitated a lot of very needed discussions about
0: the church. Yeah. Big time. And I, it is bizarre. Like you can, that you can go through a seminary training that you can get an MDiv at a, at a school and come out still not really understanding ecclesiology and even just a liturgy and how a worship service should function. And I mean, yeah, there just still is a big need. Nine marks has certainly filled the void, but still they can only go so far and reach so many people. So it's a discussion that needs to continue to happen. I, obviously in light of all that's been going on with COVID and technology. uh, Another thing that I've heard, this isn't necessarily like uh, a misconception of what the church is, but just you've heard, I've heard Christians say, and I've even said it. I said it when in my teenage years, I said, well, you don't have to be, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And I said that because I grew up in an ELCA Lutheran church and they started to go very liberal and, you know, except homosexual clergy and things like that. And I'm like, these people don't believe in the Bible. So that was my only experience of church. And so I stopped going. My, my family stopped going. And I went into the other ditch of, well, I don't, you know, I don't have to go to the church. I don't have to go to church on Sunday morning or go to Wednesday night, you know, youth things to be a Christian. I can just be a Christian on my own. Mm-hmm. So, there's that ditch. There's that misconception, too. Yeah, kind of just a uh, very autonomous view of yeah, lone Christianity. Yeah, Christianity. Yep. It's just me. It's individual. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's all about just me and my relationship with Christ. And that's it.
1: Or, how yeah. about uh, this became really popular, you know, uh, the movement of uh, don't go to church, be the church. Right? Oh. <laughs> and the idea was that we're going to take a Sunday off from gathering as a corporate body and we're going to go out and it we're going to just do service projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right and uh so there's a whole discussion to be had about that I mean uh we talk about being the church how can you be the church if you're forsaking the gathering
0: well yeah of, of the
1: saints for Here worship you yeah. know
0: so the yeah exactly we'll so. get into that though um any more thoughts on misconceptions bad ideas
2: well I think <clears throat> uh this this probably borders a little bit on like like what what should the church be doing on a Sunday morning like like you know what is a liturgy supposed to be what is the purpose of a Sunday morning but um you know I, I think there's a huge misconception about um what about what the church is for and what it should be doing when it meets yeah um and whether whether the church is supposed to be worshiping or whether the church is supposed to be evangelizing when it meets together mm-hmm. for worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that that really, uh, you know, because it sort of borders on what you said. Like, oh, well, you know, we don't have to meet together because we should be out serving. Um, and, you know, I, I so I think that there's another whole dynamic there too. I think Absolutely. there's a whole misconception there.
0: Yep, mm-hmm. yep. What is the function of the church? Is the church for me? Am I just a consumer of something or you know, or is this about God so we'll get into all that I'm gonna read a definition you know we just brought up nine marks and nine marks obviously is a ministry that was started by Mark Dever uh, out of Capitol Hill Baptist Church and then his kind of right-hand man that kind of leads the, the charge to theologically is Jonathan Lehman uh, Jonathan Lehman uh, has written extensively on ecclesiology uh, and he has this really nice definition of the church Um that I'm going to read for us and then we'll kind of use it as a launching point for further discussion. And he says, um, the universal church, so I'm going to, there's going to be two terms here, universal church and local church. The universal church is a heavenly and eschatological assembly of everyone, past, present, and future, who belongs to Christ's new covenant and kingdom. A local church is a mutually affirming group of new covenant members and kingdom citizens, identified by regularly gathering together in Jesus' name through preaching the gospel and celebrating the ordinances. Now, there's a lot of terms in here that we have to unpack and define, uh, and they're very technical. So obviously we have the universal church, local church distinction that we need to unpack. Uh, We have this idea of gathering or assembling that we have to unpack and and define and why that's so key to what the church is. Uh, We have new covenant. We have kingdom. We have citizens. We have people, uh, members. So all of that is kind of working into this definition of what the church is. So let's start with, uh, let's just start with this, the term ecclesia, which is the Greek word that we translate as the church. And, We would define ecclesia you could is just the assembly, assembling together. Uh, So assembly gathering, you could say, is central to a definition of what the church is. It is an assembly. It is a gathering. And and that obviously then starts to Help us even correct some of these misconceptions of, oh, well, I can just do church by myself out in nature or I can just do church, you know, virtually, uh, you know, when I'm just in my PJs in my bed still with my virtual reality headset <laughs> on. Uh, at, at the core of what the church is, is it is an assembly mm-hmm. of people. Mm-hmm. Now, again, well, who who is it that are assembling? Who is it that are gathering together? And then we kind of broaden out, well, it's the new covenant people. it's the new covenant members. well, what's that distinguished from? Well, it's distinguished from old covenant members, and it's also distinguished from non believers so let's just let's just unpack that a little bit, like the new covenant what is what is this new covenant like what, what do I mean by that? What does Jonathan Lehman, Lehman mean by that?
1: Well, it's the, uh, the New Covenant as prophesied uh, by Ezekiel and, and other prophets. About Jeremiah. The, yeah. And Jeremiah, where the time would come in which God would remove a heart of stone from his people and give them a heart of flesh. And uh, the Spirit of God would reside within them. And yep. uh, they would be indwelt by God. And they'd have the law of God written on their hearts. Yes. That's so. key uh and so this was all expected this uh this was you know what all the other covenants are moving towards uh god taking a people for his own possession uh they would be his people he would be their god and they would love him uh, with all their heart soul mind and strength right and uh so uh i don't know how, how what you guys would like to add to that but uh
0: Yeah, I mean, and the new covenant is obviously inaugurated in Christ by his blood, by his death and resurrection. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the old covenant community Israel, obviously. And the next episode after this one, we're going to start to talk about the relationship between the church in Israel and the church in the kingdom. And we'll get into more of the details of that. But for now, we just have to realize that there was an old covenant community. There was an old covenant people, and it was the nation of Israel, Mm -hmm. and they were a physical people. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were people from the physical seed of Abraham. Uh, The new covenant people, though, is from the spiritual seed of Abraham. Mm -hmm. They are the people of faith. They are the people who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, They are the people who, um, uh, yeah, have placed their faith in Christ and have received a spirit. Jew and Gentile. Gentile.
1: Yep. It all comes back to believing in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Yes. Yep. And
0: uh, and they're regenerate.
1: They are regenerated. Yep. Yep. And uh, as an outward sign of that inward work, they have been baptized. Yep. That's why Lehman says ordinances. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they have publicly identified themselves with the people of God. And then the ongoing sign of that inclusion with the
0: new covenant people of God, of course, would be communion, the Lord's Supper. Yes, exactly. Yep. So, yes, the church, again, we say, oh, well, it's not a building, it's a people. And there's truth to that.
1: Yeah, in fact, as you were talking about this, one of my favorite passages is actually right at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. And uh, here's what uh, Paul writes. He says, to the church of God... That is in Corinth. Yeah. Okay, so now we're talking about... Local church. Local church. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And so universal I just love... Universal church. Yep. You see both, both local church, lowercase c, Yep. and universal church, uppercase c, Yes. all come together. Yes.
0: Yes, and so Lehman, in his definition, he talks about past, present, and future. So, like, right now, I mean, we can all think of, like, we, we just lost a dear brother, Laird, you know, uh, what, a couple months ago, a month ago, and, and he is in heaven with the Lord right now, and he is a part of this heavenly assembly, this gathering all around the throne worshiping God. And, and in a sense, we are also, the moment we're regenerated and, and brought into the New Covenant community, um, when we're saved and the Spirit comes into us, makes us alive in Christ, applies the work of Christ to our life, seals us, uh, we become citizens of this of, of heaven. We are part of this heavenly assembly, uh, yet we're still here on earth. And so there's this heavenly assembly right now taking place. And in, in a sense, it is comprised of every... New Covenant member, mm-hmm. whether Paul from the first century and Peter and the uh, the first apostles and the first Christians in the first century, uh, these saints from Corinth, uh, they are they are in heaven right now, a part of the heavenly assembly. Whether it's the person that is born, you know, ten years from now, who then becomes a Christian and gets brought into the covenant community, they are a part of this heavenly assembly. So that's what Lehman is talking about: past, present, future. That's the universal church. That's the heavenly assembly, and we're. Everybody who is a New Covenant member is a part of that one heavenly assembly. But then you have these local expressions and displays of it. The, the heavenly assembly is currently invisible to us. We can't see it. It's there. It's mm-hmm. true. It's real. It's in heaven. But we are called to put on display that assembly so that the world can see it. We're supposed to do what we're going to be doing and the new heavens and the new earth now, in a smaller, less fuller, or purer way, and that's
1: what the local church is. You could think about it, uh, and this is the language that I've heard Nine Marks use. But you could think about it um, in the in terms of uh, uh, embassies. Yeah, the church is an embassy. Yep, it's uh, it's an outpost. Yep, um, of uh, of, of heaven
0: yeah yeah we're on foreign soil right now you know this world is still you know under demonic influence and satanic influence and the nations still haven't you know come under the rule of christ fully yet uh and so yes local churches are these assembly assembly <laughs> say it again <laughs> Embassies, there we go. <laughs> I was mixing assembly with the embassy. I'm like, uh-oh, my brain's confused. <laughs> Embassies, yes, on foreign soil. So just like, you know, in in, in Russia, there's the U.S. Embassy. And it's, 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 in a sense, belongs to the United States. It's like U.S. territory, U.S. soil in a different country. Mm-hmm. And so wherever the church is, the local church, or wherever New Covenant community members gather, that becomes, in a sense, sacred ground. Mm-hmm. It becomes this this visible kind of footprint yep, of God, manifestation yep. of the heavenly assembly on earth. Mm-hmm. And that's why that's why uh gathering and assembling, like assembling, the verb together physically where we're actually with each other i'm not i'm not virtually Mm -hmm. but physically gathering together that that is key and essential to what the church is Mm -hmm. you can't you can't have a bunch of people with virtual headsets on
1: Mm -hmm.
0: acting like they're they're gathering together and saying that they're the church they're not because guess what what this local church is is it's it's a visible expression of what's going on in heaven the heavenly assembly is the is the in a sense the truer reality of it and if they're not if they don't all have headsets on and they're disjointed in heaven well then then that can't be true for down here mm-hmm. so we are to model and display what's going on in heaven mm-hmm. and what's going on in heaven is not virtual church i can guarantee you that mm-hmm. therefore then Virtual church doesn't shouldn't that's not church down here either, yeah.
1: And and I mean, you say that this is uh in heaven, obviously a truer expression, uh, because on earth, right, though we gather physically, yeah, and uh, the physical church is represented by members who have been baptized, right, yep. who have publicly declared their allegiance to King Jesus, uh, we also know that there are. Those who don't truly believe Jesus, but yet are included in the membership of the church, yeah. right? And yeah. uh,
0: We don't get it right every time. And so every
1: <laughs> single Sunday we come together, we know that there are people who have genuinely placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and still those who have not. And uh, some know they're not Christians. Many of them do think they're Christians. Right. But are not Christians.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> and just to back up what you were saying
2: about what's going on in heaven— um, we know this, uh, we know that what you said about that is is true because the scripture actually does tell us. right. So in, in like in, in Hebrews 12 in verse, verses 22 to 24, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, Mm, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And that's just one, of course. You have Revelation 4 as well, where John gets to see the whole assembly of heaven. Mm
0: -hmm. Or Revelation 7, 9. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'll just read Revelation 7. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the thrones and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So that's the eschatological assembly that we're we're moving towards. But it, it, again, is that heavenly assembly and where all... New Covenant members, past, present, and future, from every tongue, tribe, and nation will be gathered worshiping God. Mm-hmm. So we are—have a, a, a very small localized display of that going on all over the world with our local churches. Mm-hmm. But we are to model that. Okay, so the church is universal, the church is local, the church is an assembly, it's a gathering of New Covenant members people who have been regenerated by the Spirit, saved by the blood of Christ. Now, the New Testament also refers to the Church as the Bride of Christ, the Body of Christ, the Temple of Christ. And so there's these different, yeah, different pictures that the New Testament gives us about what the Church is. And, and... In a sense, they they key us into an aspect or an element of of again how to think about the identity, the ontology of the church, what it is. Uh, let's start with this idea of the bride. So, can I challenge you for a minute on that one? The,
2: absolutely. Um, the New Testament doesn't actually explicitly state anywhere that the church is the bride of Christ. Okay? Defend yourself. The on guard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I think we should be really careful with with how we approach this because like the normal hermeneutical approach that we would always take is to take explicit statements in the scripture, and use the explicit statements to interpret the less explicit statements. Right? We would we would agree with that. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and we we get our teaching on the church as the bride of Christ from Ephesians five. Yeah, but Ephesians five does not ever say that Christ is. Uh, or that 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 the church is the bride of christ it it uses um sort of like a comparison um to say that as christ is or as as the husband is or as Christ is the head of the church so the man the the husband is the head of his wife but the only place in scripture that Christ is talked about having a wife and having a bride is in Revelation 21 and his bride is the New Jerusalem. And in the New Jerusalem, it is both, like all believers are included in that, not just the church. And what I mean by that is you have all of the saints throughout all history
0: right old covenant members too
2: right so you and and so i i think it's an important distinction to make because there's 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 a good there's a good argument to be made that says well like the old testament saints are not part of the church but the old testament saints are absolutely in the new jerusalem Mm -hmm. and revelation 21 is explicitly clear that that it is the new jerusalem that is adorned as the bride of christ so if you look at new at at uh revelation 21 um verse 9 um it says then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying come i will show you the bride the wife of the lamb and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city coming down out of heaven from god having the glory of god its radiance like a most uh rare jewel like a jasper clear as crystal and then he goes on to describe the city
1: uh can i just clarify something yeah just to make sure I'm not misunderstanding you, um, would it be accurate then to say, and would you agree with this statement, that the bride of Christ is the one people of God? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. So it it is still accurate to say that the church is the bride of Christ, but you would say that that is less than the full picture. Right. Not exc- of yeah. what's exclusively the bride. Not exclusively yeah. the bride. Right. But yeah. it's still okay for Christians to say. Hey, we are we are Christ's bride. Yeah. And yeah. you would say, yes.
0: As the people of God.
1: And mm-hmm. other saints from all past. Yeah. Um, from all time. Yeah, because I,
2: I think there is I, I think there is like a a sense in which the old testament saints are also included in the new covenant because they are also saved by the blood of Christ they didn't, they haven't as of yet like those who died before Christ before uh before the they were believing in the
1: promise
2: right and yep um and God's provision was, for the was atonement it was to them that the new sins. covenant was promised right so um they and they are still elect members of of God um and they are they they will still in like within the eschatological framework they they will still live in the New Jerusalem. They're still part of the heavenly assembly now. In the vision that John had in that, that Sam read from Revelation 7. They were a part of what John envisioned there. So um like it it's just part of the distinction, right? Like when we like when you think about what Paul said, like it the church was a mystery to them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um but uh but they they are not unincluded from, from, the one people of God in the end. Mm-hmm. Right. And So, um, I just think that it's important to clarify uh, to say that, like, when we think of the church as the bride of Christ, it is a bigger picture than just
1: like from Pentecost forward. Sure. No, that's helpful. Uh, the picture is still really I tend uh, to powerful.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Yeah. 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 But the
1: picture is still ought to uh, inform our understanding of who we are to God. Right. Yes. Yeah. And And that's why we love that picture because we see God's covenant love being Mm -hmm. demonstrated towards us. And it fills us with awe and wonder that God would display such grace, that He would,
0: you know, intentionally take us to himself and wash us with the word and adorn us with beautiful garments and make us a beautiful bride Mm -hmm. and and there's even this image too of like the Galilean wedding um ceremony where uh the man when he would like propose you could say to his his future bride he would go in the street and he would offer her a cup of wine if she drank from it she accepted his his you know um, yeah, that proposal proposal. There we go. I mm-hmm. forgot the word. <laughs> Thanks. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what you do podcasts <clears throat> with more than one person. Yes <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, right. And then and then the man would go away and he would prepare uh, he would prepare the house. he'd prepare a place for them to now you know raise a family. And he would usually you know in that time that place they would, he would build it off of the father's home. And, and then the woman would be preparing herself. And then finally, when the house is ready, the father of the, of the groom would say, okay, the house is ready, go get your bride. And he would come back and he would get her and then they would get married and they would consummate the marriage, obviously, through a sexual union and they would be married. And so, obviously, we would see that as like, okay, Christ, he, he in a sense, proposed uh to his bride at 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 the you know in the upper room the lord's supper this this passover meal and he had them drink from the cup and and then he went away and now we're awaiting him to come back and consummate this marriage with us
2: well and and he says in John 14 he says i go to prepare a place for you yes and and if i go i will come back for you
0: yeah, I don't know the time. Only the Father in Heaven knows when I will return. Basically, I'm paraphrasing, but that's that idea of the Galilean wedding ceremony. the The groom doesn't know when he's going to go get his bride. It's up to the Father to say, "You're ready, go get her." And so th- it's this is really interesting picture there. So that, in a sense, is kind of where we're at. Where this new covenant community we are, you know, if Adam, you know, I think what Adam said is probably pretty right. Like, yeah, the Old Testament saints too are a part of the bride, but. In a sense, though, the church has this expectation of you know he, inaugur- he inaugurated this this covenant, this new covenant in his blood, and and obviously we see that displayed in the elements, drinking of the cup, breaking of the bread. Um, but truly, it's it's a that's a representation of what would happen on the cross. His body was broken, his blood was spilled for our sins. And he's he's chosen to make us the um,
1: the apple of his eye is on us, right? Yeah, and. Uh, He's chosen to dote on us and set his affection on us, yeah. and he is committed to us, and
0: yeah, um, and it helps us understand how we relate to him. He's our he's our husband, so he's our authority. He's our head. We are to submit to him and to respect him in all ways, as the wife does to her husband. So, all of that is a part of the thing. I think the thing is like okay, bride, family of God, you know, temple, um, all these all these different imageries, they they're all. We can't take one of them in totality and say that is it. Yep. They're all mm-hmm. kind of giving us a different perspective of what we are and who we are as the church. And we need to take all of them together and, and kind of piece it together because one – just taking one of these, these images or analogies, the bride, whatever, the family, the household, whatever it is,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and making that all that we are then misses something. Right. Mm-hmm. So, no, I think that's good. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: And I'm not trying to like throw out the Ephesians five um imagery that's used because it's obviously very important. Right, right. But I'm just trying to make sure that, that we properly understand it with where the New Testament uses the most explicit language of yeah, that's who good. who the
0: bride of Christ is. <clears throat> that's good. Now the the household, the temple analogies, that can get a little confusing.
2: hmm
0: Especially uh for us who do see, and as we'll unpack in the next episode, who do see a distinction between Israel and the church. Um, so, you know, the temple in the Old Testament was a place where God's presence dwelt. Like, that's where God manifested his presence in the temple or in the tabernacle before the temple. and And now, in an interesting and mysterious way, like, we, as the New Covenant people, Obviously, each individually, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I'm a temple, Cody's a temple, Adam's a temple. If you're listening, you're a Christian, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the presence of God dwells in you. But then, also though, as all a part of one family, one household, one body, God dwells, manifests his presence in corporately, I guess you could say, among all of us. Mm-hmm. And in a way, then, we are a type of temple. Mm-hmm. And Christ's body, in a sense, is the temple now. It was, you know, you can think of what he said, I'm going to tear down this temple or whatever, and I'm going to raise it up three days later. Like, he's talking about his body. It's going to die, and then he's going to be raised to new life. So there is that reality, too. Uh, so in in a sense, yeah, the church is the place where the presence of God dwells among his people corporately and individually, the spirit dwells in each one of us too. So there's that. you have any thoughts on that? I mean, we don't need to like labor it too much. There's this big looming elephant in the room though. I think we'll get it. We'll, we'll just table for subsequent discussions just about this idea of the temple, you know, the physical temple and how that relates to the nation of Israel and, and the premillennial kingdom. There's that big elephant. I don't want to poke that elephant yet. <laughs> I mean, I I think also like there's the
2: <clears throat> there's also the concept of the temple is where um the the Jews went to worship. Right. And so when you think about uh the church assembling together, worship ha- occurs there as well. Yes. So I I think that's also important.
0: Yes, and yeah, the the worship of Yahweh in the Old Testament and and the Old Covenant community, yes, was localized around the temple. And and then what was going on there too was the offering of sacrifices, Mm -hmm. animal sacrifices. So now we have one sacrifice once and for all, Christ himself, the Lamb of God. And when we gather, obviously we're we're gathering, as Lehman said in that original definition, around the preaching of the gospel and around... You know, the the taking of the ordinances or or doing the ordinances, displaying the ordinances, baptism and Lord's Supper. So, we're no longer offering continual sacrifices like the old covenant community did in and around the temple. Now, we are the temple. God manifests His presence with us, and we are remembering and celebrating the one sacrifice that Christ did for us. Yeah, and I I, I guess I'm just
1: thinking about when uh, Jesus reminds. Uh, the woman at the well, where you know, you, yeah, you're not going to worship here or anywhere else. Yeah, but the true worshipers of God are going to worship in spirit and truth. Yes, I mean that was forecasting what was to come. Yep, our reality of having the Spirit residing in us, and guess what? It's not necessarily a place. Right. It's in a people. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
2: Yeah. And and I think there's like it's important to say that you know the the Old testament saints under the old covenant um sacrificed animals at the temple as um uh as part of their worship because that is how God commanded them to worship yeah um and we don't sacrifice animals now because Christ fulfilled those sacrifices and that sacrificial system, and so we are we are not commanded to sacrifice animals now um and like all that to say that um, God has something to say about the way that we worship him, and we should obey what God has to say about the way that we worship him. Um, God has always had something to say about the way that he's worshipped, and he will always have something to say about the way that he's worshipped, and we should
0: obey what God has to say about that. Absolutely. The body analogy, I mean, any thoughts on that? Like We are the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Obviously, we see that big time in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, especially as it pertains to spiritual gifts.
1: Well, it's definitely a powerful picture of the unity within the diversity.
0: Yeah, I right? think so.
1: And so, um, I mean, that's the whole point. There are different parts. Everybody is uh, a different part of the body, uh, but all useful uh, to God and all needing to be connected To the local church, to the people of God, uh, because every one of us has uh, been given a gift to serve and to build up the body of Christ. Um, So, you know, we are again called to be together, the church. Uh, You can't get this idea that there's such a thing as this lone wolf Christian. Uh, It's not God's design. Uh, that, you know, we just keep to ourselves and, you know, I can be a Christian without the church. Well, mm, that's not the picture that we see in the New Testament. If you're a Christian, you've been called to Christ, which means you've been called into his body, into his household, along with the other saints. Uh, So I guess that's what I'd emphasize in that regard. Yeah, I mean, isolation
2: is a tool of the devil. Yeah. And, I mean, it's it's evident throughout Scripture. I mean— right from creation God said it is not good that man should be alone and like granted God was speaking about Adam's loneliness and then created him a wife but that the statement is is true on its own and then all the way I mean you jump to Hebrews and more more specifically to the church the command is uh, do not forsake the assembly of believers um, as is the custom among among some um, but uh, it, it's it's so important that believers are, are not isolated from each other for extended periods of time.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And again, that, that ties into the spiritual gifts too. Like, can the hand say to the foot, I have no need of you, you know, the eye to the ear, whatever. So we, we rely on each other and the spirit manifests different gifts in us mm-hmm. to encourage each other and serve each other and strengthen each other in the faith. And we need each other in that because n- none of us, has everything that we need in ourselves, mm-hmm. and the Spirit does that intentionally. Mm-hmm. He manifests different gifts in different people, so that we need to rely on each other. Mm-hmm. So there's that reality where people have gone into error. Um, some Catholic theology has gone into error, is is uh, blurring the creator and the creature distinction. and that, if the body, you know, if we are the body of Christ, then we are Christ. We are all of Christ. And that's that's getting into error. Totus Christus, I think, is like whatever the the Latin phrase or whatever, something like that. But um, and it's something that Augustine kind of put forward as well. And and that's that's taking it too far. That's it's blurring the lines like, yeah, we are the body of Christ, but we are not Christ. Right. We're not Christ. We are distinct from him still. And uh, we can't take you know any metaphor, any analogy. If you, if it's taken too far, it starts to you know you're going to bring it into error. Right. So mm. we have to we have to take all of these analogy and these metaphors and, and, and pictures of of the church, you know, not too far. We can't take the bride too far. We can't take the body too far. We can't take the temple too far. They're all kind of giving us a, a picture of of something, uh, and we have to take them all together, and and not take them again each of them yeah all the way to where we're getting into some heresy or something so okay well that that is in a sense what the church is um you want to add anything no i mean we
1: have spent a lot of time here just talking about what the church is and that really is an essential starting point. right and we have to start there you have to start there you get that wrong uh you don't understand what the church does right Uh, And unfortunately, uh, at least in our just modern-day society, we usually think about things just in terms of function. We are very pragmatic people, right? And so it's almost like that's the starting point for a lot of people. Like, oh, you're a church, what do you do? Uh, Well, kind of got to back up the horse a bit here, because you need to understand what the church is, or you want to understand what it is that we do. Right, uh, and a lot of the things that the church ends up actually doing, if it's a faithful church, is going to look rather foolish, <laughs> mm-hmm. for, <laughs> for sure. Just a worldly perspective, for sure. Yeah, um, is it is it just a social institution? A are you club? there for the good of? Are you yeah? Are you there for the good of society? Is it there to be a social club, a place for people to connect? Yeah, uh, a place to just do good in the community, a place you to know. sell insurance. <laughs> right, <you know? laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Uh well all all of what you do, again, it just flows out of uh yeah. the identity.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. So yeah, and we could even say, um, yeah, the ontology is fundamental, and then you can get into the economics of the economy or the functionality of that. But it stems from being. It stems from who you are, what you are, your identity. Yeah, you and can
1: I just say, uh, you know, as as the pastor in the room here, right, yeah. like that, uh, you know, this is the problem we make at an individual level. Oh, right? yeah. Where it's like the most important thing that you end up having to bring up in counseling sessions has to do with identity. Yeah. Who are you? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because we're judging ourselves just solely off of what we do. Yeah. And uh, the measure of our uh, life, we look for fruitfulness. Mm -hmm. And it's like, am I doing this? Am I doing that right? Is God happy with me? Is he upset with me? And it's like...
0: Back up. Who are you? Yeah,
1: Are you in Christ? Yep. Guess what? Therefore, there's now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. And you are... you are the apple of God's eye. You yeah. are his bride. You are his household. You are his, all these different things.
0: Yep. And his it's,
1: child. It, yep. It's so true. Cause like people,
2: people fundamentally like they either don't understand or they forget that first and foremost, they are created in the image of God and they forget that their value starts at that point. And then like, and they get into all of these things like, Oh, well, you know, I, I, I didn't do this, or I didn't do that, or I'm not as good as this person over there because I don't have this thing or that thing, or I didn't do this thing that they did or that thing, mm-hmm. and then, and then they get so far off because of all the things that you said, and then they forget that they're in Christ, so then they then they like just rack up all of this guilt and things, and then it's like, well, are you in Christ? Then there's no condemnation, like you said. It's like,
1: yeah, yeah. So I think it's a good point to turn towards
0: function function yeah what does the church do yeah what does the church do this episode ended up getting a little bit too long so we decided to split this into two parts so obviously you just listen to us define what the church is its identity its ontology so tune into the next episode as we continue to talk about the function and mission of the church but thanks again for listening to the preach and Persu- persuade podcast again if you haven't yet left a rating on on apple podcast or spotify or google podcast please do that with that would really help with the discoverability of the podcast. And also, I think pretty soon here, maybe it already happened, but AFCI is going to, we're launching our new website, so make sure to check out afci.us to to learn more about our ministry. Thanks again for listening. Bye.